This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Today on the show, we ask the question, who is your daddy and what does he do? Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes behind some of our favorite video games. My name's Caleb. My name is Leo. And my name's Kevin. And today we're taking a deep look at the big daddies of Bioshock, but also the songbirds. Now, something that's interesting about this game franchise is that the some of the pivotal plot moments involve wrens in universes and time and space. So even though the first game came out, we have since then learned more about that first game. So I'm excited to talk about some of these things. So there will be spoilers from Bioshocks 1, 2, and also Bioshock Infinite. So if you haven't played those games, just be aware we're going to be talking about some things that uh, may or may not impact your gameplay of it. But, you know, Kevin, we're going to be talking first about the big daddies and the little sisters. And I know from before we started recording, you, you have a lot of thoughts about this. They are the coolest and creepiest characters, I think, in video games because they're just the big daddies are so cool, but also kind of mysterious, at least in the first game. You have no idea what yeah. the hell they are. They're these just big, monstrous things. And the little sisters are like literally these something out of like the Conjuring universe, like these creepy little girls. <laughs> and it's like, what's this? And uh, I, I was terrified of the little sisters. I thought they were going to come and get me. and They were out to get me. And then the big daddies with their, you know, like noise like that. <laughs> what was that sound again? Excellent. I don't know. I, I did something <laughs> like that, like a whale, but in air, not underwater. Well, and, and by the way, like little sisters having those giant syringes, like combining oh. tiny demonic children with giant needles is just such a goddamn nightmare. Like that's so terrifying. Children are creepy enough. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I don't well, mean that. I don't mean that. Got him. Take that, children. Oh, by the way, remember like how much of the marketing had the big daddies in it? Oh like, man, so many posters, so many like CD covers, and it they're all over the place. The vinyl figures, the whole thing, like the whole grab to get you. The whole marketing campaign was little sisters and big daddies. So let's talk a, lo- a little bit about the history of the big daddies. To start off, there was a very real problem with Rapture, right? It's a deep sea, free from ethics community that was constructed to be away from the sort of the prying eyes of the, uh, the, the ethical and moral world. But because of that, like they needed maintenance workers that could survive the depths, the crazy pressure, the insane, like literal physical requirements of working in those conditions. So having discovered Adam this this material that allows you to kind of genetically enhance yourself from these deep sea slugs, they started enhancing these people, these, uh, I guess, initial candidates. They were like these physically fit people who could kind of already handle very intense 
pressure of, I mean, pressure in terms of like intense, like environmental pressure. Like they were just, they were, right. they were very, very uh, evolved humans. We'll go with that. And so the atom was used to just kind of even more genetically enhance their already uh, high capabilities. Yeah. And, and ultimately that's, that's what it does, right? Like in the game, we see, of course, these incredible, like you learn to shoot lightning from your hands and all these crazy powers. But initially it was just enhance people's capabilities. So the early, the early big daddies were really just maintenance workers. And there were kind of two fun flavors for people's consumption. There were the bouncers who were, uh, drill drillers. They had the big drills on their arms. Yep. It show it shows like they're, at most of the time, they in the beginning at least, they were a multi. They had a, like a multi-purpose, like directive. But then that kind of changes after a little while. Um, <laughs> oh my god, spoilers! Oh, spoilers, guys! Because originally they were created by. I hope I don't butcher this. Doctor Yi Suchong, solely for just maintenance. That was the whole thing. They all had their different objective of like maintaining the city, building new structures, keeping everything kind of okay. But then Adam kind of became a bigger deal um it, it was it was a hot commodity we could say and so the little sisters were genetically altered as well so everybody everybody's getting genetically altered here gene splicing you get a gene splice you get a gene splice everybody it's the weirdest episode of oprah oh, <laughs> everyone man, look that's... under your chair just slugs <laughs> everywhere look, look bees bees everybody out of your hands like that that is the coolest thing My i just think it's ridiculous um but yeah so the little sisters they were these little girls that were genetically altered but also they were conditioned to be um these like hosts for the sea slugs. So the whole thing of Adam, they were, Adam is this material that is kind of, I guess you could say, um, mass produced. It's almost like a cattle farm. Uh, there, there are these sea slugs that I guess uh, in, in the pressure and just the harsh conditions of the seabed, they have to kind of survive and they produce this stuff called Adam and it helps them survive. And so the, sisters the little sisters were created to kind of be these hosts for these sea slugs the sea slugs become these parasites to these girls and by doing that you can get like 30 times more the atom by harvesting these little girls if you will rather than just the slug itself which is kind of weird when you think about it i mean it. it's really it's really weird but it's that's also really this is fucked up this is so rapture right like the oh, whole yeah. point of rapture was Let's explore where science and technology can go without people going, guys, this is weird. We should probably not. Do yeah, no, who cares? These do whatever girls. you want. It's like, fuck it. We've got them. We've got the slugs. Let's mash this shit up. Who and the hell thought of, hmm, you know what? I'm going to put that little slug, sea slug. I'm going to put that in that little girl right there. And I'm going to see what happens. Like, who thought of that? That's so <laughs> weird. You know, I, 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 I hate my daughter and I love that slug. Maybe if I put them together, I'll love her more and hate it less. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's it's whack. So anyway, <laughs> the whole thing, like the demand for Adam increases and then the whole like idea of recycling the material from dead splicers. So splicers are people who use Adam to genetically alter themselves, give themselves all these freaky deaky powers that we're talking about. But then it kind of, Adam becomes like this, it's almost like a drug. Uh, well, it is a drug. People people start getting uh, obsessed with it and super, super addicted to, to it. And some people they're called splicers and they go nuts. They go psycho. They need it. They crave it. And it's important to note that in Rapture, this sort of lawless place, 
people are splicing. They're giving themselves these powers, and then they're straight up murdering people and each other, and this is the lay of the land. This is par for the course. But what you have then is these people, and if we want to use like a real-world analogy, you've got people with you know who've overdosed on heroin or something like that, and they've still got this drug coursing through their genetic structure. So, of course, eventually we talk about reduce, reuse, recycle. So, you know, obviously no one's going to reduce. This is rapture. So how do we start reusing and recycling Adam? And this is where a decision is made about the little sisters. They can actually go out and extract Adam from dead splicers, which is great. But we have this problem because these little girls are literally Adam factories. They are cocaine generators in a world of <laughs> cokeheads. Uh, so the the little girls are going out into the into the city to gather this atom, and they're being attacked because, of course, they're generating tons of atom. So they decide it's it's realized by the people in power that the little sisters need to be protected. And I mean, if only we had Kevin, if only we had someone who is massively resilient to pressure and and damage someone who was super strong maybe had a had a weapon like a like a drill maybe just to throw an idea out there grafted to their arm and was didn't even have like skin was just organs floating inside of an almost indestructible suit hmm. if only we had something like that they had to make some sort of bodyguard for these little girls and so they already had all these big daddies like you said, these indestructible machines almost, these bio-machines that just followed orders. But those people were almost, I guess you could say, they were like engineers prior or something like that. It was like city workers, right? Like yeah. it, this is not a desirable job, but for someone who was already a maintenance worker, it's like, hey, do you want to be way, way better at doing that? But that only guaranteed so many big daddies. That wasn't like, oh, look, millions of of maintenance workers. Like this was a solution to the problem of we need to expand Rapture and keep it functioning. But right, like when they needed more, where do you where do you get more people who are willing to be, by the way, irreversibly changed? Because this wasn't something that you could like, okay, I'm gonna take the suit off and I'm gonna go back to being a banker. It's like you're you are that thing forever. Let me ask you this. You're in jail. What are you going to do with yourself? Rot away for the rest of your life? Well, no. Do we have a proposition for you? Protect Rapture. Be a part of its soul. Protect the little girls, the little sisters. Become the next big daddy. That's it right there. That, that's how they fucking do it. They, they take all the people from jail and they say, hey, do you want to not be in jail anymore? Do you want to, like, do something? And then also, like, you're going to be, like, fucking invincible. You want that? Yeah, let's give it to you. Yeah. So you, you, we're looking for candidates, right? We're looking for volunteers, whether they buy the advertisement, the brilliantly crafted advertisement we just heard, or whether they're, you know, whatever, they're, 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 they have to be recruited from somewhere. Basically, someone in charge said, don't worry about it. I'll have candidates for you. I'll have volunteers. They're going to be so willing. Now, we're throwing volunteers and candidates there heavily in air quotes. Right. So everybody knows. <laughs> Right. They're, we're talking about prisoners, uh, political dissidents, which when it comes to, uh, uh, and then like criminally insane people, on some levels, I kind of, I'm, I'm impressed because in a world like Rapture, you have to figure out what you're doing with the people who no longer fit within society, right? Like you can't just have more citizens. It's a very, it's a closed system. So a solution that says, 
we're going to take this person who could literally like blow a, a, a safety hatch and drown a quadrant of people. We're going to take this person and make them a productive member of society against their will. Is that ethical? No, but it's like pragmatic and practical. The idea of taking political dissidents, like, oh, what, what was his crime? Well, he, I, we just don't agree. Um, so let's melt him into uh, an, a, a tank of organs and condition him psychologically to uh, do exactly what I tell him to do. It's, it's almost a, for, for like the whole prisoner aspect, it's, it's almost a form of like rehabilitation, but like forced rehabilitation. And, and it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're a, you're a piece of shit. You just, you know, you're trying to kill these people. You tried to do X, Y, Z, all these terrible things. You're in jail. We're going to make you into a productive member. You don't get to choose. It's just going to happen. But also some of them are given a choice. You know, some people who may, may be in jail uh, for other reasons, but not maybe a violent reason. But the thing is, though, it's almost like an indentured servitude kind of thing. Right, right, right. Like you kind of get to live again freely. Both words in super heavy air quotes there, because really you're not living at all. You get right. taken over, if you will, by the society. You are like the physical embodiment of what this society has created. And, you know, when we were researching this episode and, and generally reading about it, I see a lot of parallels in the privatized prison system of the United States where we have people incarcerated and then they're put to work. They're given a responsibility to paint road signs or, or you know, do these things. But the big difference here, and again, this is a very rapturian difference, is there's no coming back from being a big daddy. So this is a decision to say, we're going to give you a chance to be productive but we're also going to strip away everything that you are. The whole point of this, I mean, initially they they had enough people to to just supply the need for big daddies to to maintain and expand Rapture. The the reason they had to find all these candidates, quote unquote, and quote unquote volunteers, was because they needed way more to protect the little sisters. That and and this also presented a new challenge, because you have these like effectively these super powerful maintenance workers. But how do you get the maintenance worker to like directly protect the little sisters? And the eventual solution was that they would sort of bond them to the little sisters. Yeah, this is a huge, this is a huge deal because not only are you, I guess you could say, bonded to this society, this city, you're bonded by sheer will that is created by the city. So your will is now the city's will. But you're also essentially like soul bonded to this little girl. And it is your it is your primary directive. Like, that's it right there. You protect this little girl. Even if the city is destroyed, it's like, no, sorry, this little girl is your primary directive no matter what. Later on in this episode, we're going to talk about the songbird and kind of how Bioshock Infinite starts affecting the timeline of Bioshocks 1 and 2. Um, but this is basically in the timeline. This is about where Su Chong starts communicating with and interacting with uh, Jeremiah Fink from Columbia. And they start trying to exchange ideas. Like initially, it's just Fink stealing Su Chong's research. But eventually, they come to this point of they're both trying to solve this problem. How do you bond something reliably to one or multiple little girls? And 
the solution actually, I mean, there there are two different solutions and Su Chong finds his and Fink finds his, but Su Chong discovers that the little girls, the little sisters and the big daddies can be successfully bonded if the little girls then provide raw Adam to the big daddies because it becomes this sort of symbiotic relationship between the big daddies and the little girls. The big daddies start seeing the little girls as this source of this important thing. For whatever reason, that clicks and they suddenly become absolutely 100% bonded to these, these little angels. They're super devoted. Almost. Like you could call them, I don't know, like a father. And again, it, I, I kind of love this in so many ways that when we look at this evolution of their function in Rapture, that they started as a very clear solution to a very simple problem. Like Rapture needs to be maintained. Rapture needs to be expanded. How do we do that? Let's like find people who maybe actually legitimately in the beginning volunteered and said, no, this is what I love to do and modified them to do that very well. And then as the need, as the demand, as the problem that needs to be solved changed, that we now need something that can protect these little girls from these genetically enhanced criminals. How do we, how do, we do that? How do we get that done? Well, let's adapt this existing solution to be this new solution for that. And in a lot of ways, this, their function in Rapture kind of evolves with the needs of the society. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here, do some uh, splicing, but stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Lord Party listeners, my name's Abu, and I'm a producer here on the network. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about Winds Howling, our podcast all about the Witcher TV show on Netflix. I don't know about you, but I love listening to podcasts about my favorite TV shows. It's great to listen to other people who are just as excited about a show as I am. These podcasts give me new perspective and a greater appreciation for the show I already enjoy. So that's where Winds Howling comes in. My co-host Brett and I love The Witcher, and we want Winds Howling to be your companion podcast to the Netflix show. We'll be diving deep into every single episode of the TV show and exploring the larger context of the story from the games and novels. And don't worry, the podcast is accessible to both longtime Witcher fans and newcomers. You can find Winds Howling on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and everything in between. If you want to learn more, visit loreparty.com. I hope to see you on the path. Let's take a moment now and actually start talking about the songbird, right? So in the same way that the Big Daddy was this iconic, incredible marketing figure for Bioshocks 1 and 2, and when we look at Bioshock Infinite, we have Troy Baker, we've got Elizabeth, we've got the beautiful city of Columbia floating through the clouds, and we have the songbird. Some of the promotional material is literally just like a picture of the songbird looming over someone, right? Or involved in some scenario. Like the songbird was so incredible. So let's let's take a moment and I want to hear your thoughts, Caleb, about the songbird and sort of its history. Where where did the sort of songbird start? Because they're different dimensions, the timelines are a bit like different, but the songbirds are actually in universe based off of the big daddies. Even though Rapture doesn't exist, in Columbia's timeline, the kind of interdimensional portal viewing um, allowed Jeremiah Fink from Columbia to witness the construction of Big Daddies and uh, get a hold of some of their blueprints. 
And from that, he was able to build Songbird, which matched simply to the needs that they had related to Elizabeth. The interesting contrast Songbird has with the Big Daddies is while the Big Daddies were built for a purpose that was different from their eventual purpose, Songbird was created to do one thing, and it did that thing consistently, and that's what it was known for. And that was bonding with and protecting Elizabeth. And you're exactly right. Like, the Big Daddies were created to solve one problem, which was to... Uh, expand rapture and to repair and to maintain and to do these things. Uh, and eventually they became guardians and protectors of uh, little, little sisters. The songbird was created for the sole purpose of keeping Elizabeth in prison. Uh, but again, just like with Su Chong, they were having trouble figuring out how to bond the songbird to Elizabeth. And, you know, when we look at the, there's actually some really interesting in some of the DLC that came out after the initial game, there was this exploration of how do we bond animals to humans? And so they tried like gorillas and their similarities of humans and they tried dogs and they tried these different animals. But eventually what ended up working was a freak accident. Like the, the songbird was in its lab and it escaped and actually crashed into Elizabeth's tower and its breathing apparatus was, uh, was damaged. And she instinctually, as a, as a young child, was like, oh my gosh, this big creature is dying because its breathing apparatus is, is broken. So she fixed that. She helped it. And that immediately bonded the songbird to her. Like, immediately. It just builds up a lot of these uh, parallels. And we see, we do see also the thematic visual cues to the big daddies you look at songbird it's visually similar to the big daddies and even when uh, the songbird is brought under control through music its eyes change color the same way the big daddies do right yeah. something that i noticed so songbird is almost the same thing like a big daddy like kind of um a prisoner to their own created will but can you also say that like Elizabeth is technically a prisoner to that will as well? Because she has to be protected by this thing. That's that's it. Again, that's its primary directive. Would you say that she also is almost imprisoned by this societal concept? Elizabeth being imprisoned is one of the major uh, themes of especially a lot of the early parts of the game. I think that... Uh... The really interesting parallel with her compared to the Little Sisters, though, isn't necessarily just her relationship to Songbird, but also in a lot of ways, um, her and Songbird's relationship to the tears and the reality gateways that f narratively function in Bioshock Infinite, similarly to how Adam did in Rapture. So just like everything that happened in Rapture, was largely expanded by Adam. Everything that happened in Columbia was largely permitted and expanded by tears and by reality manipulation. So it's really interesting that just like uh, Big Daddies eventually bonded to the source of the thing that allowed them to be created, eventually Songbird, even though through a 
separate sequence of events, um, eventually bonded himself to the person who was connected to the thing that allowed him to be created. Right, because Elizabeth creates tears. But I also, I really like your question, Kevin, because the little sisters, they are through pheromones bonded to the big daddies to be kind of in their crazy, twisted perception of the world to see them as these sort of protectors and these father figures. Elizabeth was never like tricked into seeing the songbird as something that it wasn't. So when you meet her, she's like, oh, hey, uh, yeah, there's this thing and uh, you should probably run because it's going to kill you. Like it's kind of, but she still understands it as sort of an ally to her, but whose protection of her is like borderline psychotic, you know, it's interesting that that is one of the big differences because the little sisters and and their relationship to the big daddies is crafted by the people who created both of them versus Elizabeth is this sort of, she is a prisoner, but her relationship to the songbird was an accident. And in a lot of ways is very clear headed. Like it's very determined by her relationship to the songbird and its role in her life. It is technically keeping her captive, which makes it sort of an antagonist, but it will also protect her from fucking anything, which is kind of a nice superpower to have. You've got this massive beast, which is willing to protect you. And again, like her, her sympathy towards it isn't conditioned. Her sympathy towards it is her own. Right, right. It's her choice. And that's, that's a very, very interesting point. The other interesting thing that I really like about what Songbird says to the relationship built by Big Daddy's is that it's also a demonstration that while Big Daddies were largely enhanced by Adam and affected by Adam, they were not themselves directly caused by Adam, if that makes sense. Like, Songbird is what a Big Daddy would be in a world where Adam didn't exist. Interesting. So you're saying, like, because Big Daddies were created partially by Adam because that was part of their conditioning, but it wasn't because of Adam, they were they were created to solve a problem that wasn't related to Adam. It was it was related to the world. Versus the songbird was created because of a girl who can rend reality. Like the songbird was created because of Elizabeth, who is sort of the sea slug of Columbia. <laughs> the songbird is proof that big daddies as a concept are independent from the little sisters. Because the little sisters are inseparable from Adam and what it was to rapture the little sisters is how Adam was created their significance and their purpose was all about Adam big daddies were not big daddies were a product that was adapted and I think songbird is further emphasis of that the fact that while little sisters don't exist in Columbia because Adam doesn't exist in Columbia big daddy in a way does through songbird Well, that about wraps it up. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time.